All right. Enough gabbing out of the way. We are going to start this. We are on episode 24, and we got the man, Jason Conforti, to carve out some time in his schedule, hop on the podcast. As I always start, I want to start by saying thank you for making the time. I know Mm -hmm. how busy you are. No, thanks for having me. You know, it's a pleasure. Anything I can do um, for you as a friend, but more importantly, for me getting the opportunity to come on your show, I appreciate it. Definitely. So we have... Um, going into this, there's a lot of different directions I could take and there's a lot of ground to cover. We've known each other now f- almost 10 years, mm-hmm. um, had a, had an interesting start. We talked about it a little bit over there. Um, I, I really want to, as much as we go back in the weeds, I want to talk about a, a lot of the stuff you're doing now. Cause when I first met you to what you're doing now, you know, it's not to say it's a j- different Jason, but it's a different working Jason. I know there's been a lot since we first met till, till right now. So I want to catch up to that between being a dad, having the kids, starting a podcast, entrepreneur, having, I mean, growing in the, in, in the legal field, everything you're doing, there's, there's so many different questions and ways we could, we could go it. So I, but I do want to be tradition to our, our show and start with square one, because I don't know, you know, where you grew up, how this before everything today, where, where Jason Conforti started at. No, that, that's a good question. And it makes sense to start there. Um, Born and raised in San Francisco, uh, Bay Area kid. Cool. Moved out down to the peninsula. Redwood City was home. Um, grew up, you know, lower middle class, if that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, playing sports, that was everything to me. I was competitive year-round. Uh, I played soccer only until I was old enough to play football. And then it was baseball, football, basketball. Nice. Until height wasn't my thing. Uh, and then it was just baseball, football, mm-hmm. and that was my life. And then I started to plan and notice things around me, like growing up in an inner city environment, knowing that I wanted something different. I started to plan, like, what's sort of my way out, mm-hmm. my way to something different. Um, and I did well academically. That was never an issue for me. Uh, sports was more impressive for me, and mm-hmm. I had more fun. Mm-hmm. So I started planning, like, okay, if I want to go to college, I need to go to the best high school. So then I started targeting sports programs in high schools and private schools and thought, hey, if I go there, that'll get me to college. That'll get me to other sure, opportunities, yeah. right? And then my dad the whole time was saying like, Jay, you're nuts. Uh, I don't know how we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we're going to afford this. Um, but son, if you figure it out, we'll make it work. You know, and we had to go to all these crazy booster club things and you know no one in my family went to a private school before that and I ended up going to Sarah High School which was a sports and is still a sports powerhouse Tom Brady went there Lynn Swan Barry Bonds nice you know so it was it had great academics high sort of rate of students who went on to a four-year which was always my thing for me because I grew up watching sports and I wanted to be like those guys and Mm -hmm. they all played college and so that was the plan and it was professional athlete sports medicine doc or brain surgeon or lawyer. Those are sort of my ideas in my head that I wanted to be. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. So how'd you narrow those down? Um, was it, was it one, one box got unchecked or? Yeah. So they, they naturally narrowed themselves down at first. Those were my options because I love sports and I just had that commitment to go all the way. Right. That was sort of my plan was to go all the way. Uh, if not, I just was always fascinated by successful people and money because coming from a kid who didn't have money, totally, um, you see sort of things like, oh, I want to be able to get that or achieve that. And I started to look at like, oh, 
that guy's a doctor. That makes sense. He was able to get that because he went to medical school, became a doctor, or that person's mm-hmm. an athlete, or that guy oh, over there, he's a lawyer. You know, And those are just sort of the examples I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And knowing nothing about the law, uh, in college, I had another injury. So high school, I had my shoulder redone, which was a pain. Oh, sure. Uh, came back from that injury. And then first year of college, um, I met UC Davis, wanted to play baseball, was ready to go, and then tore all the ligaments in my ankle. Yeah, crutches for 15 weeks. And it was at that point I said, you know what? Like, most people don't understand to battle back from an injury is one thing. To battle back and be competitive at any sort of, like, collegiate or upper level is just a whole different strategy. And it takes a whole different level of commitment. And I was sort of burnt out having just done it, Mm -hmm. you know, a year prior. And I said, you know what? I don't want to ride a bus and double A, triple A ball if I get there. Mm-hmm. I, that's not the life for me. And looking at the numbers, I'm just being realistic here. I have a better chance of getting to where I want to go from either being a doctor or being a lawyer. Right. Totally. Yeah. And so that's when sports was just became more of a, a passion, fun, not the number one focus through professors and just a natural love of social sciences. That's where I gravitated more towards the law aspect of things, knowing that it was either doctor or lawyer. Four year was just the next step to a postgraduate degree, and law just felt natural. And yeah, that's where I went. It's funny. I've had a, a lot of friends who, especially in collegiate ball, when you get to the high level, um, describe the burnout of it. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't think a lot of people see. And a lot of people who, who make it to collegiate level, um, they've typically played that sport their entire life and at a high pace, high discipline. Like it, it's a a funny comparison to one of my best girlfriends. She she from like when when she could first run she was in gymnastics and ended up getting a full ride to to university of washington and and right at the very end she just she she her burnout was at an all all-time high it's really funny to her transition because uh you get scouted from those from gymnastic programs to go to like the circus Soleil's and these performing arts shows across the country so she actually got recruited and went to uh to Las Vegas and was in La Rev at, at the win Great show. for years. Yeah. But she like, she was constantly battling the balance of she, it still felt like gymnastics though the demand there. And she's like, my body can't get to like a normal person's body. I always have to be in like peak peak, like this type of shape, which can be really fucking taxing. Um, and she eventually finally got out, but she would talk about the burnout all the time, man. It's tough. It's, it's real. And I wish, you know, a friend of mine, good friend of mine, uh, Legadu, is now former professional NFL athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, he still does a lot of sort of performance coaching, and he works with younger kids. And I, I wish I had someone like that that would have perhaps made me more aware of burnout and yeah. attrition and found different ways to stimulate me because I wouldn't change my life for anything. Mm-hmm. I'm destined to be where I am. I know that. It's affirmed every day. But if I had somebody like that, perhaps things would have been different. And that's something that I know he works on with his athletes is keeping them motivated and finding little games within the game Mm -hmm. because you do get burned out. I started playing baseball as soon as I can walk and swing a bat. And I was on a team. They petitioned the league to let me in a year early. So I started Mm -hmm. a year early in T-ball and started there. I was the best player on the team, Mm -hmm. even though I was a year younger. And my birthday is in October, so it's late. So it was like nonstop. I was regular baseball, traveling baseball, fall ball, because you got to get that wood bat league in. And then guess what? It's back to regular baseball. And when you're a kid, it's all fun. But injuries, going at it for years and years, it's a real thing. Yeah, totally. So so setting your sights on either 
the medical field or like becoming a lawyer, mm -hmm. those are like the top of the top. I mean, you're shooting high. Yeah. Um, where did that, did you have, was that, that, that run in your family or where did that come from? Cause like my, my mother worked in as a court reporter and there was for a long time I wanted to, to, to go to be a lawyer, but I, I saw her every day. So that was something that was in front of me. Was it something that was in front of you with parents, with relatives, anything there? No, not at all. Um, hi to your mom, by the way. She's she's oh, yeah, a celebrity. You yeah, met my mom. That's I right. have met your mom. Does she follow you on social and like your Instagram stories? She does, and I think, she but she forgot about me. I'm gonna Every be day I find you. a new person in my Liz, network. I, I got to be honest with you. I'm a little bummed, and I think you saw the promo for your son's show, and I get it um, because now all of a sudden I got three hearts on some posts in my story yesterday. But yep. I take all the love, and I appreciate that you're back on track, and I hope you're well. Um, <laughs> but nobody, nobody in my family. A funny story though is like. No, my dad never checked on me. You know, my, my parents were together, but ultimately divorced. Um, but no one ever checked on me. No one was that example. And every once in a while, my dad would come in and I'm in the middle of homework and my dad would come in and say, Hey, come here. I'm like, what man? I'm working. He's like, come here. And he'd bring me to the front of the house and he'd point out the window. He's like, you see what that truck says? I'm like, yeah, dad, it says Conforti construction. And he's like, that's right. It's never going to say Conforti and son, get back to work. And I'm like, Really? Like you interrupted me for that Jesus, shit? Jesus, dad. I know. I'm like, but he, I guess it was his way of motivating me. So like he was an, ex an example is what I wanted to be. Like he had a lot of good qualities about him, but you know, he was worked construction because mm -hmm. he put all his eggs in the sports basket and you know, didn't even put all his eggs in that. He had social life and partying that took yeah, over. Yeah. Um, so he did construction. He did okay. And then my mom uh, was a CPA and she just didn't seem happy with mm -hmm. her job ever. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like there's certain aspects she really liked, but it was never something that motivated her to get out of bed. And doctor came in because I had a couple, you know, good teammates that I played with in football, whose dad was a very high profile sports medicine doctor in the Bay area. He was the team doctor for the Niners for a while, for the Raiders, for the San Jose right. Sharks. And the only reason I got connected to him is because I played with his boys. Um, and so I just, struck up a relationship and a friendship with him. He helps reset my collarbone when I broke it as a kid. So he mm. was like sort of the seminal figure for me. Like, look at all these things and all these athletes he gets to connect with. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he does well, he has a fun life and he seems happy every day, whether he's running to the Pop Warner field or he's bouncing in between client meetings. Every time he's at the office, every time mm -hmm. I see him on TV running out on the ice, you know, I'm yeah. like, that guy has it. And then lawyer is just something else where I just, you know, a, a big part of it, this is going to sound crazy, but a big part of it was when I was in fourth grade was the OJ trial. And they played mm. that because it's state court. You can record it and you get media access. So OJ was playing every day I was in school in fourth grade. Really? And so seeing the work that they did, of course, the most memorable to me at the time was Johnny Cochran. Mm -hmm. uh, that had a big influence on me. And that was sort of my biggest exposure to the law at that point. And that was through TV I'm in the Bay Area, that's in sure, LA, yeah, but it was yeah. something that I was seeing every day. I'm like, dude, yeah. this guy is like going out every day. He's going out and he's coming up with something and you have this team of you know prosecutors on the other side that always seem to be caught off guard and can't keep up with, mm -hmm. with Johnny. Like what's going on, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's cool to kind of retrace or reconnect the dots on, on where it started. And I think that's a great fucking starting point. I do have a question. Because mm -hmm. I've, always, I've always thought this and, and I asked different people, and I know I was telling you about Aljamain Sterling in the environment he grew up around his his um, parents, his siblings, and all that, and how he came out and, and really well rounded right now. 
is I think that our parents' generation is hearing your mom was a CPA and dad in construction and all that. I think that they, they were just kind of brought up and raised and passed down um, that that's what you do. You go to work. You make mm -hmm. sure you have a check. Um, I think now as it's kind of watered down to even the generation below us, it's almost it's, it's morphed so much that people are, they're chasing happiness almost to a flaw where you almost worry they're going to trip and fall because at some point you do have to have some sort of protection or reservoir. So it's a weird transgression. But I, I always, when I meet people like you who, because I my, my parents were the same way. My mom was a court reporter, so she always worked federal court, same check. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think she, she there was a, a big part of her that did enjoy it. She did it for 50 years. Um, and, and my dad was was always uh, in, in one way, shape, or form a mechanic. Um, but I always would look back and be like, where did I get the mindset? Because a lot of your mindset starts at that age. And there was always just something like, I don't know if it's the, the engines kind of tick a different direction, that I always could kind of disseminate right from wrong and what I wanted to do. And, and, and just you talking about, you know, I knew I needed to go to this high school to go to this college to achieve this. Being able to process that without a parent saying, you're going to go to this high school, mm -hmm. you're going to go to this college. What do you think? Like, is it just something that you're born with? Is it something that like, and I know people say once you hit teenage years, your friends do 50% of your raising and then your parents do the other 50%, which I look and I think that's a really, it, it might even be lopsided more in the direction of your friends, especially now because our, our, the children now have, have access digitally to their friends when they're at home, when they're out at school, that they might even raise and create their impressions on life even more than 50%. But what do you think it was that, you know, because you could have very easily followed, you know, the the, what they were setting, the stage they were setting for you is what to do, and, but you've definitely created a different mindset in where you're at now. Yeah, no, that, that's a great question um, and a great point. And I think a lot of people in the world will see a change because they're prioritizing happiness, mm -hmm. right? And no matter where you go to work or in your living, if happiness is the center point of that, you will be better at whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. right? And, and then the one thing I do now you know, one of my closest friends in the law was, is an interpreter because I work with him so much, you know, and Ricardo's like family to me. And mm. what we always say is even though we deal with serious stuff, we can either, we have the ability to work with people we like, right? Like sure. we, we're going to have to do the same job so we can do it pissed off or we can do it laughing and having a good time. Mm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And like, yeah, yeah. we choose to laugh and have a good time. It doesn't water down the quality of our work or the seriousness of what we deal with. Um, but that's an important factor for how you do in whatever you're doing and how you feel about your sense of self-worth at the end of the day. Agreed. And so going back to, to try to answer your question, I know I'm different and it's not narcissistic or saying I'm special. I just know because the things that I focused on as a kid for whatever reason are different than things that my friends focused on. Yeah. And it's a combination of like environment, upbringing, education, drive, all of do that. you ever wonder, and, and that was my question, do you ever wonder why, like, your focus went to these things and their focus went to those things? Like, what is, what that, what's creating that influence? I, a lot. I'm not sure exactly. Because there's the kids that grow up, you know, that they're attracted to violence. So they go pick fights and become the mm -hmm. bully and do that for whatever. And they might be in a home that has nothing, that doesn't at all scream that message. But they just choose to do it. And I've, I've always wanted that because you have you hear the stories all the time that people who have great upbringings, but they completely fold mm -hmm. their life when they get out of the house. I look back I'm like, I don't I, I it's hard to put a finger on what exactly it was 
Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. That's why I'm, 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 I, I ask people all the time. And I, I ask in a similar way to a guy like Alger Mate and other people. Like we've had Jimmy Langley on here who came, he was he raised in a trailer. Trailer, like, like horror, horrible is a strong word, but a really challenging upbringing. And now he's one of the, one of the most successful people I know. When there's people who have a golden spoon raised and they are just, they fold, their whole life folds when they get older. I don't understand where, where it kind of yeah, got off track. Well, I, th I think it starts with your set of circumstances, you know, like uh, people get money gets a bad rap, right? Mm -hmm. Money is not a bad thing. Money mm -hmm. is a great thing. It gives you freedom, gives you opportunity, gives you choice. Uh, the love of money and when you prioritize that over other ethical, moral principles like doing things the right way and, and being a good person, that's where I think people get in the problem. But for me, you know, I had a set of friends that were insanely wealthy and well mm -hmm. off because I went to a private school in the Bay Area. I mean, I had one of the head people at EA Sports and everyone was playing Madden as a kid. I mean, his dad was reaping a lot of those benefits. Sure, yeah. And because of that, he didn't have, I grew up fast, I grew up in the streets, I had street smarts, I had a certain savvy about me when I was young, wiser than my years, that other kids didn't, right? They were very naive. Mm -hmm. They didn't have this prioritized, you know, they didn't prioritize being successful and wanting to be successful and have opportunities and have money to make your choices rightly or wrongly i saw the financial stress in my house you know and i'm like sure, well shit yeah. my parents went out they got a job they work hard they're clearly working a lot it seems like because they're they're not home very much they don't like their life in the workspace mm -hmm. um because of the toxicity it brought to the house so my example looking back was i can go work for somebody else be unhappy and still live maybe paycheck to paycheck, mm -hmm. fuck that. Yeah, yeah. You know, as pl plainly as yeah, I can see yeah. it, where my other friends who were very well off never heard or experienced or cared about money troubles, always thought mommy and daddy are going to be there and the, don't worry about this. I, I was working on a construction site before I was 10. Mm -hmm. That's where I started learning Spanish, and I was doing the shit jobs that the day laborers didn't even want to do. Totally. Right? And yeah. then I started working when I was 10 years old. I was working at multiple jobs. It seems crazy to say, and people are like, no way. And, promise you. I was working at a little mom and pop movie rental store. I was working at a deli. I was working at a drive through espresso spot through mm -hmm. high school and college. I worked at Starbucks. Then I worked for Red Bull. I've always worked. And yeah, so yeah. my goal was like, I want to do what I want to do to make money so that I don't live and I'm better than how I grew up. You know, mm -hmm. it's not knocking my parents because through their lessons and mistakes, I learned a lot. I didn't have to touch the stove, right? I know mm -hmm. it's hot. And that's one thing that I prioritize where other people had this sort of, oh, it'll always be okay. Mom and dad will always be here. I didn't have a sense of urgency or drive or focus. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'll figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Well, yeah, yeah. your ship sort of passed. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting, because I agree. And it takes, it some people, it takes a lifetime to really establish their relationship with money mm -hmm. um, because your relationship young when it's older and then at the end of your life can be completely different relationships but I think you're right that it's gotten a bad rep and I just I kind of want to understand your your relationship and how it's progressed with money yeah because I think it, it's almost gotten to point now you, you hear a lot of people just chase your passion chase it agree with all that totally agree with that but there's also got to be some sort of levels in the conversation about you know a, a lot of stuff that you're passionate about does require money mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that you're going to want to do and, and and also too people put a ton of emphasis around your entire happiness and passion comes where you work or the business you build. It's not entirely true. You know, you have a family outside of work 
that is completely separate from one another, and that 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 is, creates a level of happiness that I'm sure matches matches or trumps mm-hmm. your business or work, what you do. So if you can have all the pieces kind of add up, but the common denominator is almost everything zeroes back in on money. Yeah, you know, and and I've always it took me a long time to categorize it, and, it, and you can't get too uh, you can't fall too much in love. Uh, with money that I started just looking at as it's, it's a tool. It's a tool I know I'm always going to need. Um, sometimes more than if it's an opportunity or passion or something I'm going to chase, it's probably I'm going to need a little bit more of that tool to, yeah. to, to chase it down. But a lot of the stuff, too, that I've realized that I want costs nothing. You know, so it's finding that balance. But I think there's been such a, a weird uh, reputation put on if you're if you're just pursuing money you're just this capitalist fucking terrible human being and I think that there needs to be maybe just a little revision to yeah. to how that's being put out right I 100% agree and people are going to be pissed off me for saying this but most of the people I know who start squawking about oh money's not everything you don't mm-hmm. need money aren't doing well and they have an unhealthy relationship with money or meeting their financial goals. And look, I'm nowhere near where I want to be. I know people that are way more successful and make way more money than me, you know, and I'm always looking up and I want to keep improving. But there needs to be a revision because it's a necessary evil, even for the people who are anti-capitalist society or whatever. They've usually been burned by people who didn't do things the right way. And there's a way mm-hmm. to become successful with honoring your word, having integrity and doing things in a way where you're successful without taking something more than money from somebody, right? Oh, yeah. If you break their trust, if, if you mislead them, misguide them, that, that's not the right way. That's not what I'm about. That's not what you're about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where maybe the sour relationship starts. And for me, um, how and when and where you spend your money and the reasons you do it are way more important, I've realized. Totally. Like buying things you can't truly afford for the impact or perception you may create for other people is a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's where people have problems. That's why they have credit card debt. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah, like yeah. credit card. I am I'm yeah. a cash business. Um, I, all, any debt I use is strategic, I would like to think. Um, and it's in a way that's, you know, building, you know, yeah, accumulating yeah. assets, you know, mortgage. You know, most people aren't buying all cash homes these days, at least in San Diego. So, you know, that's a that's a debt. But ultimately, you're going to pay that off and you're going to own your home. And there's smart ways mm-hmm. to use it in setting up in my life goals um, that are not just my goals. Now they're goals that I make with my wife. Right. And she yeah. drives a lot of it, too, because she's just naturally more risk averse than I am. Right. Mm. I, I am more comfortable with risk. And it, again, I think comes from our upbringing mm-hmm. and the two of us together are the best team because we're a balance, but having responsibilities that depend on you really depend on you. Um, like Moose, mm-hmm. because he's, he's an expense. I, I'm he, just saying he is, he's a liability. Th- that's where it starts. <laughs> investment. It, I'm telling you, Moose is my dog. Yeah. Anybody that doesn't know. If you don't know, go check the story. Um, <laughs> Instagram pending. <laughs> might get rejected. Um, but yeah. And then having, you know, started with our dog too. And then now we have two kids and I know the life I want to provide them. And there's nothing that makes me happier than working hard and being able to give them things and provide them things, Mm -hmm. um, for the sheer joy of giving it to them. And they don't even appreciate half the things we give them Mm -hmm. because in the world they grew up in, it doesn't register for them yet. Uh, you know, the type of life they're leading. Cause I realized they haven't known anything else. Mm -mm. My daughter knows nothing different than coming home and a brand new car, a brand new car seat, brand new mm-hmm. house. And that was by design, but 
she's probably going to have to get uh, a little real world treatment here uh, totally, when the yeah. time's right because she needs to truly appreciate what she has. We always try to teach her about saving, teach her about respect, teach her about giving. Mm-hmm. And those are big things. I think all go around understanding to make money work for you and to earn it the right way. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. That's so funny when, when you can look at the perspective of your kid when you were a kid, because you never, you never came home from school or from practice or anything. And we're like, oh man, dad or mom or both, they must have had a hell day. And they're, they're, they're just, they're just working to get this mortgage paid that I don't even know what a mortgage is mm-hmm. and the bill that pays the TV to put on, like you don't put all it together. And I, I'd like to think that there'd be a time where you, where a kid can understand that at a certain age, but I'm like, I don't, I think it's going to be really hard to ever have a kid fully grasp. You can do little tips and tricks to be like, Hey, you got to earn your, so to speak, keep here and, mm-hmm. and, and develop good principles. But man, are we clueless to all the problems that our parents and now you're dealing with that the kids, it's just, you know, and, and that's how they should. They're walking, they're comfortable, they're, they're being a kid, but Man, looking back, I'm like I had no, I had zero clue. I had mm-hmm. zero clue on that. None. But so, kind of got off track. But that's a good thing. Is and I do want to say this, um, and I, I always speak highly about you. And I think I've since we met, and, and Brandon Thomason, thanks for introducing us. Uh, you were referred by Brandon as he's the best lawyer in town, and he didn't say it in those words. He did it in a Brandon mm-hmm. in in his translated tone. And that was nine, 10 years ago. And definitely in my dealings with you and definitely people that I've, I've referred over, it's always been the case. So I guess bridge the gap for time's sake on, cause we didn't even get into going to law school to now. And I know now this is nine years later, you are one of the best criminal defense to her attorneys. Um, I said in California, in San Diego, like walk me through the, the progression of wh- where you're at today. I mean, we, we, we got Jason directly from court, so yeah. straight from court over here. So he's, again, I he's a busy man. Pete. I'd like to think he dressed up for me. And Jarissa, thank you for putting the nicest suit out and socks. But I know I it was these. also for court too. So I know a judge probably was a little bit more superior than than me. But I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, shout out to my wife because I, I think <laughs> Pete thought I was joking with him, but I did tell her last night, "Hey, babe, it's not just an average court day. I got to look good. I'm going on in the." I'm going to fact check this too. You need to fact check I will it. Fact and check this. Look. I'll tell you, I did the socks. I did the socks. She did everything else. It was laid out nice and neatly hung up. Uh, she left me a little bit hanging because she didn't put the belt, and I had to ask Gigi which belt. You know, I know. I almost had it. But she got it right, I think. So I, I thank her for that. But going from, you know, undergrad to law school in San Diego, in my mind, I always had planned on San Francisco was home. Like, even when I was mm. in college, I'm going back to San Francisco. I want to be in downtown San Francisco. But then you come here and there's no reason to ever leave. No. And then more importantly, through law school, I started building, you know, working, getting my real exposure to the law and making professional connections. Then it was really silly for me to think about leaving because sure. all the good work I did through law school as far as working hard and meeting people and networking, the relationship equity is a term you used on our podcast, capital, right? Yeah. Relationship capital. There you go. Yeah, I'm still yeah. screwing it up. But that would have gone out the window because I never wanted to work for somebody else. Mm. Um, initially, I thought I did, but then quickly realized that it, it wasn't going to happen. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They can't put the wolf in somebody else's office. It'd be a problem. For they sure. don't play well with others. And um, through that, I met a bunch of good people, uh, got mentors that are other people who I was introduced to very early on, fortunately, in the criminal sector and 
sort of hybrid civil criminal world that were just, I could tell right away these people are leaders. They're influential. Mm-hmm. They're respected. Everybody, both sides of the bar, prosecutors, other defense lawyers, judges, they, they're well-connected. And I made them my mentors. I didn't ask them for permission. Um, they may not even consider themselves a mentor to me, uh, but I always thank them. Mm. And that's where I sort of really started gravitating towards criminal law and working hard. I, I mean, that I can't stress that enough. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't chance. No one gave it to me. Criminals, cutthroat. Um, yeah. As far as like people trying to poach your clients, uh, people trying to talk bad about other lawyers just to get that case. I never do that. Like, mm-hmm. and I tell clients right away, if they've met with other lawyers, I don't talk bad about other lawyers. You know what I mean? I'll give you some honest opinions and some truth, but I don't talk bad about other lawyers because me putting somebody else down should be a red flag to you to leave. If you went to a doctor, 100%. right? And they said, oh, you're like, okay, can you help me? And the first thing they did was say a bunch of bad things about other doctors in the building I'd be, I'd leave. Mm-hmm. They didn't say one thing about how they can add value and how they can help your situation. I think that's business one-on-one. If anybody in any industry does that, and mm-hmm. I, I use the comparison, if you're trying to win a girl over and all you do is bash the other guy that she's talking to, she's going to go with the other guy, yep, you know, that's, you, that's you win them over by being the better person. And, mm-hmm. and that's any industry. And I think I'm sure in your profession that that exists every day. All the time it happens. And it's crazy. Um, it's really crazy. But I, I learned that early on in business. Mm-hmm. And I saw it in practice through a number of professionals that I was fortunate enough to get to know and handle cases with who practiced what they preached and didn't do that. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, would actually compliment other lawyers like, Oh, if you met with him and you're comfortable, he's very experienced, great attorney, you know, good luck. Mm-hmm. Like, and not being a jerk about it, truly meaning like, Oh no, he's good. He's qualified mm-hmm. or she's qualified either one. And to sort of get to present day, I came out of law school in the worst legal market ever, worst financial market ever, right? It was 2009. We had the big recession, the crash. Sure. Friends who never wanted to work for themselves, thought they were playing it safe, got the big firm opportunity, were then getting Mm. cut because they weren't hiring on associates anymore. Mm. We're giving them a third of that salary they were expecting as a severance pay and say, hey, we don't know if and when we'll be able to hire you again. Um, And I had made up my mind before that that I'd worked with Paul Turner uh, he was a mentor to me. He opened the door before I even went to law school. I, I bugged him. I said, hey, I'm going to law school. I've never been a lawyer, never been in the office. Like, I don't know what's going on. Can I just come and see what the business life mm-hmm. is like? What's the workflow for a lawyer? I'll do anything. And I literally did anything. I was taking out the trash. They had some storage units in a like a parking garage downtown that were all covered in like sort of exhaust set. I was like cleaning that out, moving it out. right out of law school. Before law school. Oh, wow. It was a month before I went to law school. Oh, wow. Um, about a month and a half. I interned. I would just follow him to court. I didn't even own a suit at the time. And I was just trying to figure out, like, where do you go to this? How do you do that? Yeah, yeah. And over, he couldn't get rid of me. So over sort of three years, I realized I'd brought in a lot of business just naturally to his office because I couldn't take the case, but people trusted me. And I was able to negotiate a partnership deal with him at a law school. And a lot of people thought it was crazy. Mm. But I said, look, if I fall on my face, I'm 24, I'm single, I got no kids. I can pick myself up and go work for somebody later if I need yeah, to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so definitely. I said, now's the time to take it. And everyone else thought it was nuts. Um, but I did it. And I never looked back. We were partners for five years. <clears throat> Only reason we separated is, you know, he had been practicing 30 years before me. Mm-hmm. And at that time, he had just had recent grandkids, four of them actually. And his priorities had shifted. And sure, yeah. it made sense 
to keep that friendship and that professional relationship. Jason, you're now five years in, you're married, you're starting a family, your motivation and work intensity is going to be different than mine. We don't want resentment. Let's just be friends, have separate offices, and we could still do business if we want, but then there's never any, hey, you're not pulling your weight yeah. resentment, you yeah. know? Um, and it was very mature of both of us, uh, especially him. Uh, he could have just sat back and said, oh, I've given this kid the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Now let me reap more of my rewards, even though he's bought in and paid off the partnership agreement. Yeah, totally. And he never did that. He, he was always the most ethical, stand-up, moral person um, in and out of the courtroom, in and out of law. Uh, and I appreciate that because he gave me a lot of foundational principles of what it takes to be successful and do it the right way. And this is huge. Definitely. So I know sometimes it's hard to talk about yourself and your strengths, but there's definitely something that sets you apart as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious over the years of now practicing law, what is that? I, mean, I guess what's the intangible or what's the difference maker that you've seen in yourself that set you apart from other other, not just criminal defense attorneys, but just other attorneys in general. And then also, because this reminds me too, um, I don't know if you've ever seen any similarities to your sports careers. Mm -hmm. Do you, we've, I, we've talked in the, the minimal we've caught up over the years, and, and I know there's a, a lot of intense pressure that your job brings on a daily basis, and then you have kids and family and all that. Is there a, a burnout that you, you, uh, that happens in, in your, in your field of work, similar to like sports and how do you, I guess, manage that? So it's, how do you set yourself apart? And, and is there, do you, do you face burnout in, as you've grown over the years or your position? Cause I'm sure you just are getting more cases, more demand, mm -hmm. bigger responsibilities, um, as time's gone on. Good questions. Um, it is hard to talk about yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm going to answer the other question first. Um, burnout, is a very real thing uh, mm -hmm. in any profession, especially the practice of law and specifically criminal law, focusing on federal criminal cases, mm -hmm. right? I handle state cases as well, more on select either cases that were going to be federal that went down to state court or referrals from either past clients or good friends. Uh, it's high stakes and we're dealing with some far more valuable than money. You're dealing with somebody's life, their liberty um, and the ripple effect that an sure. adverse event could happen on not only them, their career, their family, their kids. So burnout's very real. And people have to be cognizant that that happens and have to remind themselves why they do it mm. or take a break mm -hmm. because the cases are too important. Even the littlest federal case, that's still somebody's life mm -hmm. and they still could be in prison for quite a long time if you don't take it seriously or you miss up, right? Like you have an off day. So... It's one of those things where it's real. And I've had bouts where sometimes you just feel like you're going through it every day. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of my burnout feelings happen towards parts of the process of representing people that aren't the clients, right? So the clients don't cause the burnout. Their matter doesn't cause the burnout. Traveling to a jail and dealing with the, you oh, know, okay. dealing with that little, you know, sergeant with the badge inside those four walls and his little sense of control who just is an asshole. Yeah. And dealing with that and like, dude, I don't know you. You're the new guard. Ask your other homie over here. Like, I'm the cool one. I don't give you shit. I don't come yeah, in here yeah. thinking I'm the lawyer special treatment. Like, you're a human. I'm a human. Let's be nice. Do yeah. our thing. And that's the stuff that pisses me off. That's the annoyance. Like, our work is hard enough. I take on the federal government every day. They have unlimited resources. They have unlimited manpower. 
right? Mm-hmm. When I have an appointed case, for example, I have to like grovel and beg and plead the court for funding we need for a necessary service, like an interpreter or an investigator, oh, okay. just to be able to do our job. I'm not asking for extra. I'm not asking for the same budget the government allocates to when they come to trial with me and have two or three lawyers sitting there, plus a paralegal running their, you know, sure, their document yeah. pro, right? You know, they got their trial director program going. They have all the other people back in the office printing copies, running things back and forth. I don't ask for that. Mm. So there's inequities in the system. You got to be cognizant of burnout and remember why I do it. And it's to help that person yeah. who's trusted their life to me and to be the voice in the room. Um, but it is real and you do need to take breaks and you do need to step back uh, and remember why you're in criminal law. And if it's not for you anymore, there's no problem with that. Pivot, go do something else that has less consequences because it's not fair to your client. Have you watched other uh, criminal attorneys burn out and actually get out? from that unfortunately not as much as i would like to see I, mm-hmm. I was in court this morning and there were three people that i saw in the very limited time i was there that were burnt out 10 years ago yeah. and i'm not disrespecting them it's just clear their body that language trickles down on their their client every case That's terrible man it's terrible yeah I, di- I didn't think about about that and meaning the psychology of it that who you're representing and how much the, whatever way the decision goes it affects their life especially at the level mm-hmm. you're at it's a huge influence and how if you're not on your like aest of a game that this could be someone else's life so for you it's just like man i had a bad day but it could ultimately redirect their entire life and not the, not to get specifics but has there ever been in like your career doing this that there was a day that it didn't go the way you wanted and it really just beat you up like was there a, was there a client or someone that you remember where you didn't you didn't get what you wanted or what they wanted and mm-hmm. needed that it that took a toll on you outside of outside of work and you carried it with you oh i i do it all the time mm. you know and that's one of the i don't want to say consequences just the fact of being a lawyer like i'm personal and i'm passionate about my work you meet your clients they're humans mm-hmm. that's where the <laughs> this is very crude but one of my mentors said this literally yesterday um we are the asshole of the criminal justice system as defense lawyers. And if that stops working, the whole system doesn't work. And what we do is different than the prosecutor and the judge. We actually have a person. We have a human that we connect with. It's not a case number, a name, a charge, a sentencing range. Mm. I get in the weeds with people, right? And I get an instrument understanding of that person, how you made that decision, how you ended up there, how were you raised, why were you here? And mm-hmm. what was your motivation for being here? And what other things? Because in that snapshot that we've rendered a judgment and indicted you for, you're so much more in that life than, you know, you're 32 years old, you're 22 years old, you're 27, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to your life than that instant that got you indicted. Mm-hmm. And cultivating that story, bridging the gap to build that relationship, that trust to where you'll open up and tell me the most intimate things is huge. So I take things very personally. I do. I I try. I'm not a judge. I'm not there to be neutral. I'm there to be the advocate. And if someone's got to say something, that's my job. It doesn't matter who's going to get pissed off, whose feathers are going to get ruffled, whose scalp I'm bringing home with me. That's my job. And if I'm not prepared to do that, I should get a different job. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's something that, you know, for example, my last trial, I can't comment too much on it. It's still pending. We still have issues. There's still going to be appeals. But 
there was the most key piece of evidence in this boat case was GPS information, allegedly. And the introduction of the alleged GPS tracker was just wholly improper. And without that tracker, there's no way to link that up to the data that ultimately shows the location of what mm. the prosecutor wanted the people to see. But there's no chain of custody to show that that tracker was on my client's boat from the fuck ups when gathering the evidence to storing the evidence to how it got schluffed around from Coast Guard boat to Coast Guard boat to eventually offloaded on port. And mm. that was planted in an official evidence bag, that tracker in an evidence bag, and just walked in front of the jury instead of it having a chain of custody yeah, yeah. with a sheet inside, sealed, signed, packaged. No, someone took it, put yeah. it in an evidence bag, unsealed, walked it in front of the jury as if it was official evidence and there were no chain of custody issues. And guess what the government relied on in their closing and guess what the jurors believed all of our arguments but couldn't get around the GPS fucking data. Oh as you God. can hear in my voice, still pisses me off. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. There's an issue there. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. We're still fighting it. So I take these things very personally. Um, trying to answer the other question without haters are okay with me. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's going to like me. A lot mm -hmm. of people probably don't like me. Even the ones that I work with, they probably don't like me. They're thankful. Um, sure. But you have to be confident in who you are. And drawing on my sports background, one thing I did and still do that less than, I'd say, 5% of lawyers do, really. And I'm not talking about going to court because you have to be there and maybe watching something. I treated it as game film. I watched so much game film as a mm, football cool. player, baseball, mm -hmm. learning people's tendencies, where's this guy going to pitch, situational baseball, what's the goal here, move the runner, hit behind him, hit and runs on. Mm -hmm. So there's so much of a mental aspect where you could beat people. I would start showing up at hearings to learn from either people that they said, hey, this guy's good, this girl's good. Well, you know what, I'm putting them on my calendar and I'm gonna go to court and I'm gonna watch. And so many times people ask, Jason, what are you doing here? You don't have anything really? on calendar. I'm watching you. That's right? cool, yeah. Yeah. I, Absolutely. I've intimidated, not on purpose, US attorneys. Well, why are you here? We, our trial's next week, I know. And I'm gonna figure yeah. out what you're doing. Do they take it as a compliment or do they take it as a slide? Like, what? Both, really? you know, I've had some, I, I've actually had a situation, this is not a lie, where I represented a guy, maintained his innocence, charged with this big conspiracy. We were set for trial about two weeks out. And this was a relatively new U.S. attorney to our office. She came from another district. I wanted to see, does she got game? Mm. It's pure and simple. Like, are you smooth? Are you tricky? Are you slippery? Am I got to watch out for what tips and tricks? You're not reinventing the wheel in two weeks. So if I'm going to watch you today. So you're specifically watching people that you're going to eventually be in court with. Either against. I'm going to trial against them and I'm, I don't know their playbook. I haven't seen them before. Or they're, they're just wrecking balls. They come in there as badass as their top rated lawyers. Like, Bro, is the hype real? Hey, that's savage. Like, I'm, I'm, that's pretty savage. I did is it that since a, I was, Is that a common thing? Do other lawyers no. do that? No, less than, I would say, honestly, being That's kind of a mind fuck, too, to yeah. the person. Like, if you're at two weeks, and if, if you came every day, and every day sat right behind them, yeah, I love it. I'm taking notes. Like, yeah, that's my job. I want to know. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, that's your, when you hire me, it's for your case, but it's based on my reputation and my experience. And if I have limited experience with your U.S. attorney, I'm not going to lie to you. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, oh, this person's new. They just came to the district. And if I have an opportunity to see them at work, 
I'm going to take it. Oh, man. No one does that. And they should do it. But other people think, oh, I'm in court all the time. You're in court fucking around on your phone, playing Sudoku. Yeah. Like, what are you, 2005? What are you doing with a fucking Sudoku? Um, you're not reading cases. You're not paying attention. I'm talking about going there and watching game film. What's the judge going to do? What's the temperament? What pisses the judge off? You yeah. don't want that. Because jurors, even if they don't understand it, can tell when someone's mad or, oh, that guy was out of line. And you already have these hurdles to jump over totally. as a defense lawyer. So that's one thing that I know I do. Um, uh, another thing is just having integrity. If I have something, if I have a big stick and I'm going to hit you with it, I'm going to tell you, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't disclose defense theories. I don't do anything unethical because that's the paramount rule book that I operate by. And that's the way you need to act so that when you call people out, it has some sort of echo chamber sure. behind it. It's not shit. Jason's here. Every case is going to the Supreme court. Everything's all misconduct. No, if mm-hmm. I tell you there's a problem, it's because there's a problem. Mm-hmm. I don't say that on every case because not every case has a problem. The best thing for me, an experienced ethical prosecutor, rock star agents, there's nothing a defense lawyer loves more than excellent agents. Mm. Top-notch agents that are thorough, did things the right way, have chain of custody, have thorough memos, sure, yeah. don't leave out notes, don't have two separate notebooks. We don't know if we should disclose this. I might not give it to the prosecutor. Good law enforcement makes my job way easier. Yeah, yeah. Narrows the playing field, narrows the battles, okay? Mm. I, what you gotta do is honor your word and be ethical, have that integrity, and then there's a certain level of I don't want to say performance, but trial skills that it comes down to, you have to be able to resonate with people. People have Mm -hmm. to listen. You have to get their attention, captivate them. Mm -hmm. There's gamesmanship involved there, not underhanded or outside the rules. But if I want you to pay attention to something, I may do something to cause you to pay attention and break up the monotony of a cross-examination that you don't care about this chemist's background. Mm Mm-hmm. But if there's something important, I got to do something to get your attention. Whether it's a tick, it's changing my voice, lowering my voice, saying something real loud. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to play with that. And you have to be able to react on the fly. Mm. Um, Another thing that I think helps, I know I'm gifted, statistically gifted with my memory. Not everyone Mm. has that. I can recall things, I can associate things, and I can pinpoint cite things that other people can't do without notes. And I use that to my advantage when I'm in the courtroom. It's not a stammering, um, wait a second, judge, let me figure this out. It's cogent, it's concise, it's tight, it's credible. And that's what the judge will want, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm not saying I win every time. Most defense lawyers work is losing. Yeah, yeah. We lose, but it's how bad you lose on a lot of cases, right? Because technically, if you reach a plea agreement, well, some could say it's a loss. Mm -hmm. Well, I see all the stuff we got rid of, and I see what we ended up pleading to and how much time that we're getting, that's a win mm-hmm. because you have True. to understand what your client's goals are. That, so that's a perfect segue for the question I have. And I don't want to, this is kind of a selfish question. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I definitely want to jump off of uh, court talk. And I don't know if you, if you really enjoy talking about court and, and, and your profession this much, but I, cause I still have a lot I want to ask you about. Um, and this might catch you off guard, but what you just said is a trigger point um, for the question. Do you think the way that the justice system is set up, is it truly, does it feel like the clients you're representing are innocent till proven guilty or guilty till proven innocent? And I say it from a selfish standpoint because I feel like over the years, uh, 
my my feelings has changed. And and again, it's just knowing people like I know I've, I have actually a lot of lawyer friends and mm-hmm. people that get into trouble or people that you know I've dealt with the legal system, the justice system, high level, low level. Meanwhile, I feel like and and why I said the trigger point and jump off of the question was when you said you lose a lot. That for me says most of the time you're going in and the impression is this person's guilty. I'm trying to prove their innocence when the whole philosophy of the justice system that Mm -hmm. we've been sold on growing up was you're innocent until proven guilty. But when you walk in there, everybody knows like, no, you're looked at. And and even hearing how you're walking to when you say that that dickhead sergeant or this and that, like you're almost an extension of that person, like you're guilty. You're representing this guilty person. Mm -hmm. And I even feel like from the way that they're arrested to the way that bail's ordered to all that, like, man, we're, no, you're already pocketing this person. As, so for your job, is like, I'm not walking in with someone who looks completely innocent. It's the, it's the reverse. Mm-hmm. And I might be totally off base. No. But, but what we grew up and what we're told on a daily basis is, no, 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 you are innocent until we go in and we can absolutely, within a shadow of a doubt, is that the right word, prove that you're guilty. And I, I will go on hand in the air saying I think it's the exact opposite. Yeah, uh, and you are the exact person who should be rendering an opinion on this because you are a juror of our peers. Mm -hmm. In the criminal system, um, in the civil system, they have jurors too when they actually go to trial. Uh, You are a juror of our peer. You are one of the people of the county of San Diego. You could be a juror. Uh, You're right on in my assessment, and it's not because it doesn't go my way or whatever. It said innocent until proven guilty, okay? Technically, yes. Um, in practicality, how it plays out logistically and the effect, no. You're detained. The bail system and the Bail Reform Act need to be thrown out the window. Bail needs to be just completely scrapped or we actually honor the Bail Reform Act in federal court mm. and get rid of the cash bail system. Mm-hmm. We need to. It's either you're released or you're detained. Totally. That's where it should be. Um, these nonsensical bails we have, and I'm talking about bail, and I'll explain why in a minute, of financial conditions, specifically in cases where the courts appointed me a private lawyer. I've been selected on a select panel of lawyers in federal court, approved by the judges that because of conflicts issues, everyone needs a lawyer. They can't all go to the federal public defender's office. Private lawyer on the panel, you get this case, okay? Mm-hmm. So you found Mr. So-and-so to be indigent. They can't afford legal representation. In that same hearing, you make the financial finding of indigency. They're mm-hmm. poor for people who don't understand that. That's a legal term mm-hmm. of art. It's not disrespectful. They don't have the means to hire their own lawyer. Oh, by the way, but if you want to get out, Mr. Innocent Person, I'm going to put $30,000 yeah. bail for someone you know doesn't have money. Mm-hmm. Does that feel innocent to you? Your house Even in if it's this- a dollar, it doesn't feel innocent to me. Yeah, you're, you're housed in the same jail yeah. as post-plea guilty people. You're treated the same way. You're confined to a cell. Your liberty, communication, visitation are restricted. You answer to some CO who doesn't like their life most mm-hmm. time or likes it for the wrong reasons, which is unhealthy. Um, so no, the system practically does not play out with innocent until proven guilty. And that's part of the mental warfare that caused clients to resolve their case with guilty pleas. Mm -hmm. Either they're fearful of charges being stacked and the ridiculous exposure that they shouldn't be facing but are, Mm -hmm. or 
I just want to get this behind me because in my training in this local jail, I've been told prison is better. And so I just want to get this over with for whatever time so I can do my time and ship out. And this warehousing of people is a problem. I am not saying people shouldn't be detained. Mm -hmm. If there are legit flight risks and risks of non-appearance, and I mean legitimate, well, that's something to consider. If I was a judge, when, if I ever become a judge, I will consider that. Mm -hmm. If you're a danger to the community, you're caught in the act of committing violent crimes, and that's a real risk we have to consider, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's probably why you're going to stay in jail. And it's not going to be for some monetary amount that you can't reach. I'm going to come out as a judge and make the decision saying, no, I'm ordering you detained because I find you to be a risk to the community considering your violent priors, the allegations in this case, and the facts and circumstances of the case, right? The weight of the evidence, least important factor. But there are certain things you can get from these reports that tell you, hey, this person might be a danger to our community. Mm -hmm. But the arbitrary setting of financial conditions of bail set up the client for a life of feeling like I'm guilty. I'm already being treated like I'm guilty. I'm in jail like I'm guilty. Everything about it. Nothing changes once I plead or am found guilty. And and to me, just the philosophy of of a cash value is what is the difference between you getting out. Just that, that money is the, the barrier. That's fucking crazy to me too. Like, why isn't it like a, a deep series of questions or interview you have to go through mm-hmm. so we can really establish, and someone who ha- is neither biased, not a judge, not a defense, not a prosecutor, like you go through a series of, uh, of questions and be like, okay, you're good. And depending what you're in, but like a, a cash value, that's crazy. And, and, and I think right now too, like a lot of these questions beyond even just the, the justice system is, I think what we're experiencing with like the quarantine and COVID and all that is like, we have so much shit that's outdated and outwritten mm-hmm. that this would be a great opportunity to update a lot of our quote unquote software. And it's funny that I say, I, I had this conversation really recently is I'm like, everything else that like our phones, our vehicles, our homes, everything we're always updating, everything about our life, our, our clothes, everything's always getting updated, but there's certain things that we just keep prehistoric and keep living by. And I'm not saying we have to, to rewrite it, but the justice system for me is one that like, it, how far back does it date back? And, and I don't know enough, and I, and I always preface it with, I don't wanna be out of line, because maybe there have been uh, updates or amendments, mm-hmm. or, but it just doesn't seem like it to me. And, and hearing what you said too, coming full circle on this, how you said you're different from the prosecutors, is you're dealing with a person. Yeah. I think that right there, I, I wanted to stop you then, but I'm bringing it full circle. That's a huge problem too, is why is only one person in the room dealing with a person? Why doesn't the prosecutor have to do it the same person, the judge have to do it, so they can get a little more context behind who, because when you said, can everybody in there as a human being take the judge's robe off, because that's where they wear the robe, right? Mm-hmm. Take your guys' titles off, you're dealing with a human being. And this human being could be fucking guilty very easily could be guilty, but why don't we all get a little, why don't we all lift the curtain and find out who this human being is first Mm -hmm. and appreciate that we're sitting here dictating where his life is going, us. And the prosecutor could be someone who goes home and has a wife and children and doesn't think about that ever again. And a judge and all that, like, wouldn't you feel a lot better? And maybe it's people getting into the wrong reason where you actually got to know, I, I, I would doubt beyond the case number and their name, they know nothing about that person. And, and furthermore, they probably omit the stuff that might influence them to think they're actually a good person too. They're like, no, let's get out there. Like, 
He's got these shitty qualities, these great qualities. He's always worked. He went to here. Like, let's learn who we're dictating their life and actually take serious all of us versus where it's not like, hey, I'm going against you and I want to win just because that's what I do for a living. I'm gonna, I'm gonna win even if that's a compromise of this person here. Like, mm-hmm. no, they should all have to deal with, with, with who this person is and get <laughs> a context behind them. That for me is like. I feel like that whole philosophy is so outdated. That goes back to like the day one dates, like coming in and shuffling through people in court that it, it kills me. It, it kills me. And I'm, and I'm, I'm saying, it, I'm like, I'm sure it kills you. Cause mm-hmm. there's probably been so many of those cases where, where you walk in like, God, this dickhead and not to use like the prosecutors, a dickhead, like they don't understand this person is such a fucking good person. And they yep. did this and like, but you can't, that's not meant for a courtroom. You can't put that in there, but could there be an opportunity where things flip and they actually learn that outside of the courtroom and they come in with a totally different um, uh, opinion or, or influence on the case? And it's crazy, and, and I'll get off of this. But I had, years ago, I referred a, 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 a guy to you who got caught up with something and he went in there. And, and I, I don't know actually if he ended up going, if you retained him or he, I think he went with someone else. Um, but he asked me to be a character witness um, and I, I went in, I'm like, dude, totally there for you. I'll play my part. Met with his, it was a different attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, and kid was, he was a great kid. He was 100% guilty. What they're saying. It was like a petty narcotics charge, whatever, which I'm not excusing at all. But the day before he was going in and I was going in to sit and go into court and all that, the prosecutor actually said that she somehow was given or shown, and maybe she'd been sitting on his social media and he was a dad. Um, he had a kid and she she excused or threw out, um, I don't know what he ended up getting, but they, they basically, I, I got called, I don't have to come into court anymore. He got a phone call or his attorney got a call saying, she looked up his social media and said, I, I see you, you're, you're dedicated to your kid. I see, yes, you are employed. I see this, that, and the other, and actually humanized mm-hmm. the person. And I'm like, what a, re-? and he, he still had, a, he had some penalties. It wasn't like he was going in there to, they were trying to put him in jail. Um, he didn't go to jail, but she humanized him. I'm like, what a great person. Now, should that, if it happens again and again, like there's always got to be that context behind it. But, and I never knew who, who the, the prosecutor or the woman was, but like, that's how it should be. That's what, like, both sides should be weighed out versus like, I'm going to try and defeat you. Yeah. Well, by defeating Jason Conforti, like, it, it, it's ultimately the person underneath that you're representing that, that takes the bath. Yep. And sorry, I've obviously like that. I've, I've felt this way for a long time and I, and like in bits and pieces, but having you in here and, I think it's a great stage to kind of to to set for the conversation because it's just that's I, I think again beyond the justice system there's a lot of stuff that we could have this same same conversation that the whole philosophy is is outdated but yeah and no and and I'll respond to that quickly but you may have missed your calling so one of the biggest arts of being a defense lawyer is humanizing your client and telling their story. We're storytellers. Mm-hmm. So you're telling a story to a jury. You're explaining how they got there, why it's different, or why the prosecution got it wrong, or why they failed to investigate, mm-hmm. right? You're humanizing your client. And if you're not doing that, you're doing a huge disservice and you're not doing your job. There are systems in the world, the English you know, barrister system, where they rotate Mm-hmm. from prosecution prosecution to defense they do the same thing in military courts with jag officers okay mm. they they take rotations and that creates a more well balanced view and i always try to 
number one, I'm protecting my client's interest and I don't do anything that's a, would jeopardize that. Mm-hmm. But if there's an opportunity to connect personally with the prosecutor and agents and my client, I always work like hell to get that opportunity. I prepare my clients and I'm on high alert mm-hmm. uh, to make sure we don't go off the rails there. But that can pay huge dividends if prosecutors are forced to see the case for people and not case numbers, charges, and the next court date, mm-hmm. it will make their job as a prosecutor a hell of a lot more difficult. They may not be able to sleep as well at night knowing the damage they cause, and they don't cause the whole problem. Totally, a lot yeah. of times someone's caused a problem and they have to deal with it. So very t- few times are we entrapping people or fictitiously creating charges and trumping up bad investigations. That's, that's obscure. I, I want to be fair yeah. because I deal with a lot of very good people um, on a daily basis in our prosecution offices, both in state and federal court. And I'm thankful for that. And that's part of the reason why we have these relationships, but humanization is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, federal court uh, to go back to the bail point you make, they try to do a holistic review and analysis of the offender's background and characteristics and create a report prior to a hearing. They do Mm. a good job of it. Where they get it wrong is in their recommendations. And because we've always put an arbitrary cash amount on the bail, what are you doing? That judge won't accept that. The supervisor says that he won't accept that. That's too low. Change the recommendation to this. So we have these outdated Mm -hmm. patterns and practices you were talking about that need to be revised. Cash or no cash is not why someone's going to show up or not show up, Mm -hmm. right? If people are going to show up, they're going to show up. A, a monetary amount is not going to do it, right? Totally. It's just not. I've seen it in practice. The number of people and, I've and had abscond, it's never been about money, and, and it's don't very you few. Think the, the argument of we've always done it this way, I feel like we're in the middle of global protests, protesting that we've always done other things certain ways mm-hmm. that we want to change. It just took getting to the absolute breaking point that now we're finally we're broken and we're trying to rebuild that. But if the, if anybody on the, the arguing side for these people protesting and not switching subjects, but it's, it's similar said, well, we've always done it that way. We're not, we're not changing. We would continue to have protests and they just get more riled up and more riled up that like to hear that argument, like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We have like, things have to be updated. We, we, who said right now, who's saying we're doing things right, right now, yeah. in five years from now, in 10 years from now, we should always be, you know, quality assuring everything and updating. So to hear like, dude, I'm, I'm getting real down a real rabbit hole, rabbit hole with you in the weeds. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I think that could be a whole conversation on or off camera in itself. Yeah. But I do. And I, I think in some way, shape or form, I've asked you this before, and this is, um, going to get us nice and off of this hot topic is you've built a name and reputation. When you say humanizing people, I think it's also your responsibility to humanize them both directions. You know, if they're, if they're guilty and they're a bad person, this and that, you have to humanize that in both sides. And I think you've built a reputation under the name Jason Confortian Law that, that, that stands for itself. So my question is, and, and I think we've had this conversation years ago, mm-hmm. is as you grow, you're in a business where when someone retains, whether it's Conforti when you were a partner with Turner and all that, when they come to you to work with you as a client, they want you. Yeah. And that is a really tough race to keep going as you grow because it's always, it's not something like, cool, I've retained you. Now let me introduce you to this lawyer mm-hmm. and they're going to take you from here. Is And then again, and I keep bringing up your family because I have a, a ton of respect. And one of my business partners has a family and two kids. 
that I, I have a ton of empathy for them because I go home and I have a dog. So I can go home and literally be brainless the rest of the night if I got beat up all day long. Is I have a, a I empathize because I'm like, you have to go home and your kids know nothing about your day. In the morning, the afternoon, in the evening, your wife, mm -hmm. for the most part, doesn't know anything. You don't want to drag that in there. So you still have to be on, on your game. You can't, like, I, there's a lot of times I get home, I'll sit on the couch and I'll end on the couch. And yeah. that's just it. <laughs> you know, and even there's something like, fuck, Moose, I got to walk you tonight? Like, that's, that's asking a lot here. But you have kids. So I, I guess the question is, as you grow, you know, you have your, your book of business and people and referrals. It doesn't stop. It grows with you is how do you scale that from both a professional level, but also a personal level? Because you know perfectly well, you don't start and stop at 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. No. And, and when you're in any client-based business, you're at the mercy of the client, and it's really difficult and challenging, especially when the, you're in probably the most extreme version of it because this is their life at stake versus, you know, we, we have clients who are in marketing and this and that. Like, you can put on Do Not Disturb, and they'll be fine. Yeah. For you, it's like, no, they're there. And, and I'm sure you have several clients in rotation all the time. Like, how do you, how do you scale that? How do you balance it? That it could be very easily a 25 hour a day job for you. Meaning the inquiries, what they want, the needs, the demands, the worries, the concerns is, and then not making sure that, or making sure that doesn't carry into your relationship with your wife, with mm -hmm. your kids, with everything else you're wanting to do. How has that balancing act, um, how has that balancing have worked out for you over the years? If it even is like, if, if it even is like a sweet spot you found. Yeah. So great question, tough question to answer. So on the last topic, finishing the transition, prosecutors should not be worried about winning. That's not their job. They're, they're ministers of justice. They should be doing the right thing, pursuing justice, even if it means not, personally being tied to the outcome of the case. And that's where prosecutors mm. have issues. So we have a common ground there pursuing justice and getting a right and just outcome, um, given the facts and being honest with them and accepting the bad facts, right? You lose sure. credibility if you don't do that. And I appreciate you recognizing that, you know, uh, right. it's huge uh, part of my practice and that I pride myself on in that's helped grow the business and get the reputation and the wards and the accolades and the peer recognition. And I don't take any of that for granted. I appreciate all of it. And I know I'm just getting started and it's, it's not egotistical to say that I'm just yeah, convicted yeah. in my belief. I'm, I'm confident. I know the success. I know where I can improve and I'm trying to do it every day. Uh, the balance, my number one thing, way more successful. Anyone who knows me knows this way more successful than anything I've done on the sports field or in law is my family. I have mm -hmm. the best wife in the world and I have the best kids and I thank God that they're healthy. The balancing act is a day-to-day -day adjustment and mm -hmm. it's, I'm learning and mm -hmm. it's growing because my kids grow. The more you feed them, the more they grow. It's crazy. Yeah. But as they grow their world, their personalities, their social commitments yeah. become mine and I'm not going to limit them um, within reason. So it's always a balance. And, and what I, the biggest I had to learn how to take a break. I had to learn how to take a vacation. And I think we talked about this before and it comes with understanding if you're open in communication with your clients and you're upfront with them and sticking to your boundaries of, I always come back better and more refreshed and helps fight that burnout that we talked about earlier when I go on a vacation. Mm. 
before early in my practice, I was so worried. Oh, I got to grow this thing. What if I miss mm-hmm. a client call? I got to get a call and I'm out of the office. And then I, I burn the candle on both ends because I'm not in the office and being as productive as I should be. I'm not meeting with people. I'm not going to court. I'm paying people to cover my hearings, whatever. Totally. But then I'm physically out of the office, but I'm half there mentally because I'm still worrying about emails and checking this. So then I lose out of the quality time with my family and the enjoyment of that experience, whatever it is, staycation, mm-hmm. going to the Philippines, we're going wherever. And so I had to learn how to take a vacation. It sounds crazy, but I've been working since before I was 10. Yeah, yeah. I worked through law school. I didn't have the courtesy of, you know, daddy giving me money or mommy giving me money and don't worry about this. Like I had goals and desires and I had to get it. So now that I've learned how to take a vacation, it's, it's time blocking those same principles. And I'm nowhere near perfect. My wife will tell you, shit. Um, I, I come home some days still personally affected by an outcome or pissed off about something that's really bugging me because I care about my work and I don't reset that fuse that especially now that I moved back downtown there's not that decompression period of a commute home right it's two blocks I'm there and we're right in right in kid war zone baby so it's one of those things where I have to recognize it and learn and grow every day but the thing that helps me the most is just being responsive to my clients all the time setting the expectations up front and you became, I don't put do not disturb on, and everyone knows that in my business, and I have two lines tied to my cell phone, that I can distinguish a true emergency and a fire from a insecurity or just need some, some padding on the butt and a mm-hmm. warm bottle and go to bed. Sure, right? yeah. uh, so I communicate with my clients very effectively. They know, don't call me multiple times. All that does is make me not want to call you back. Like if your phone gets disconnected, but I'm talking like the five, six, seven calls in a row with no message, that tells me your shit's not important. If it was, you understand, you call me once, leave Mm -hmm. a message or shoot me a text message. I'll respond to you if not that day within one business day because Mm -hmm. I'm in court, I'm in a meeting, perhaps I'm in a jail, I don't have my phone or don't have service. That's why it's, if you have a missed call with no message, I may not even get your missed call depending on where my phone is. So setting those expectations with the clients um, and then having a team player and a wife that is a lawyer has worked in criminal law in the past. She's now transitioned to doing, she's found her lane. She represents monsters, right? Like she Westfield or Simon or Nordstrom or Starbucks. And Mm. she's just a major player in that space and she's kicking ass and she has her demands and we balance each other out with understanding litigation flows and time pressures and deadlines and then taking the lead with the kids. So it's, it's a long winded answer of saying you have to understand that that's something you need to focus on and then playing with it. You got to do sort of split tests. Um, I go in early and you stay late depending on the week or my hearing schedule. And you know, you got to be able to have flexibility, but I'm always trying to improve in that because my kids deserve it because I make all the money over here because my business is going good, but I miss out all the time here that mm-hmm. I'm empty because yeah, those yeah. little kids grow up so fast and they need me there just like they need their mom there and they got to have fun and they want to have playtime with daddy. And I can't talk to them like Jason, the lawyer, I'm Jason, their dad. Like yeah, when daddy yeah. comes home, I'm not pinning you down. I'm not cross examining you. And I have yeah. to take that off because that's my skill set. And, you know, and we balance each other out, Drissa and I, by saying, look, you can't talk to him like that, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm like, shit, you're right. Like I didn't, even, sometimes I sort of list off five things why we're upset. And like my daughter's in the wind tunnel, like the <laughs> fuck? Like she hasn't said that, but I can see that she's thinking it cause she, she can manipulate her face way better than I can for reasons we don't need to discuss, but she can do these little bouncy eyebrow things. I'm like, how the hell did you learn how to do that? And my, I'll 
say, hey, this, this, and that. And that's why I'm disappointed. And Tris is looking at me like, I'm like, sorry, this is why. And I focus on one, but yeah, yeah. I, the recall thing, we talked about my memory and I have three or five things that I know mm. that she's done that I've been patient with, but now we're talking about it. So brrr. Yeah, yeah. And it, sure. it's not healthy as a dad. It's not healthy for her. It doesn't help her development. And I know that and I know better, but sometimes we get caught up. The point is I'm not perfect. I'm nowhere near perfect. You never accuse me of being perfect, but it's like something I'm growing with and trying to adjust to. And the scalability couldn't have been more on point with your question because it's so personal. It's mm -hmm. in criminal defense, whether I'm representing a business owner in his business going through an investigative stage or we're fighting the criminal process or we're in a parallel proceeding, right? And I've come to know your families and we're traveling and the implications that that has, the clients grow, the needs grow, the, the work grows. I'm a human. There's 24 hours in a day and I have a lot on my plate. So turning down clients is one thing. Finding a way to scale is what that's the million dollar question for totally. me because it's so personal and finding that balance where they understand that I have a team, but every essential thing, you always have my cell phone. You can get a hold of me 24 seven. Even if I don't pick up, I'll get back to you. Mm -hmm. Access will be key. Knowing that I'll handle all critical material negotiations, responses, overseeing all things before they're filed and being at those critical hearings will be another key, mm -hmm. you know? So I've identified some components to where it's, possible to scale in my space because I want to without just taking the easy option for me and saying, all right, I'm not fucking with you. There's no more small time clients. If it's not over this because of the time and resources I'm dedicating, I'm only going to have five clients sure, and they're yeah. going to be nationwide and they're going to be a big company. That's going to keep me and my whole team busy. And that's one Avenue. And I've considered that, but I still feel it's my calling that there's a lot of help and work I need to do on the front lines for the people who can't necessarily afford me. And mm -hmm. a lot of people can't. I tell people all the time, I'm not the cheapest, but I will give you my word. I'll tell you what I can control. I will not overpromise and underdeliver. I don't work that way. Mm -hmm. And you have to look across the table and say, Hey, is it a vibe? Basically yeah, to, yeah. to put it for the listener's no, perspective, like <laughs> it's a vibe, right? Like yeah, you just modernized it. <laughs> I'm just trying to, Hey, everything's changing. So, <laughs> I'm not a fat old white guy in a suit. Do you actually say it's a vibe to him? Uh, sometimes I say, hey, Try it one time, see what happens. It's a vibe. <laughs> you know I mean? Hey, it's a vibe. You feel me? Um, you got to get real with them. And that's one thing that I can connect with people from business partners down south to low-level cell sure. operators to Fortune 500 businesses with eight to nine figures in annual revenue that trust me, who's younger than their kid, to navigate that space and represent them from here to D.C. and back. Definitely. And never been happier. And their moms, who are my great grandmother's ages, have crushes on me. And I think it's the sweetest thing ever. And I'm like, this is fucking cool. <laughs> but it, it really does come down to, look, in this situation, we're in a bad spot. And you have to listen to your gut. You have to be trusting and comfortable to be across the table from me, discuss something, and make a really tough decision totally. based on my advice. It's your decision. And I'm going to advise you, but can you trust me to make a very tough decision? Often, some of the toughest decisions people have ever made in their life. That's what it comes down to, the critical component of trust and building that relationship and relying on me to navigate that minefield that's a federal criminal prosecution or definitely. a serious, you know, significant state case. Yeah, definitely. So, I guess, 
because you hit me with this. I don't know if we mentioned on, on camera that I was on your podcast. Mm -hmm. And we're going to end with that. And I know we're, we're, we're starting to land the plane here on this. But you steady. riddled me with... You, huh? Steady. I know. Oh, I've been <laughs> landing this plane, man. Hey, just, way longer than I just, have. Just, 24. Just, oh, we're going to ask about that. Shit. But you, you definitely riddled me with questions on going off of how you balance your day-to-day, -day, personally, professionally, and all that. And we talked about what you're going to do with us is jumping in the cold plunge and stuff we do to take care of our... Mm -hmm. our physical health, our mental health, all that. So I kind of want to return the favor oh, and ask you because it's some in different similarities is, is I can I can relate to a day where you kind of feel like a ping pong ball all day. And when you describe you might be in a jail, might be over the courtroom, might be meeting a new client, might be doing a podcast. Mm -hmm. I have those days too. And, and, and it's, again, it's client based industry that you legit get done by the end of the day and you're like, oh my God, you have to think back to what was the first, like you might not even remember this, mm -hmm. all the details of the podcast today because where you go from there to there to there. Now you step into your house. And and for me, the, I had to, I dealt with this when I, my last relationship, we lived together. And I eventually had to just say, hey, when I walk through this is not offensive, but I I need to like unravel my my mind and everything and it's, it just wasn't every every day but it was those days where like oh my god i don't remember my 10 a.m meeting from my 5 p.m and i just got home or i'm like i just need 20 30 minutes it's really fucking strange and i'll probably sit like out in the balcony or that's almost like the the decompressing mm -hmm. unraveling but it made a world of difference someday i'd go up and it'd be six o'clock and I'd have a glass of wine or something just to and, it, and there was like no phone no, no, nothing coming in. And because mm -hmm. you're in, in a day, I think we all have this problem. There's, we're always receiving. We're receiving through our phone, through our email, through people, through that. Eventually, you just have to sit with your thoughts. If you don't, you're going to jump in and, and then you're receiving your kids, your wife. It's, it's just constant. And, and what happens when I was seeing is I lay down and I was starting to develop like uh, a little bit of insomnia because I lay down and someone pointed this out to me like, well, the first time in your day that you're have you're sitting with your thoughts is when you're going to bed. Of course, you're staying up and you're thinking now laid down 10 p.m., 11 p.m., whatever that is. You're thinking about that meeting. You're recapping on that podcast. You're going through that that first client sit down, whatever. And next thing you know, it's two hours and you're still laying in bed mm -hmm. and then you pay for it on the next morning. So I would say like, hey, 20, 30 minutes. I just need to really unravel. Do you have little, I'm not saying that's it, but that was my long-winded way of asking, do you have your own little tips and tricks? And I know when we, when I was on your podcast, you were doing a fun little diet that wasn't so fun. Yeah. Um, but I know you're very conscious of your, your physical health, mental health, all, all that. So have you found any certain ones that are daily, weekly, monthly that you're doing? Maybe you and Driss are doing together. Yeah. So I, I, the insomnia thing you, you mentioned, I actually think is an issue that Jarissa has a lot because mm. she has so much on her plate and she does so many things with work and the stress of clients in different time zones and filing deadlines and pain in the ass, you know, opposing parties that just make your job more difficult, not in a, a good lawyer way, but just in a jackass, you don't know what you're doing, but I still have to respond to your bullshit way. Mm -hmm. But then she's also covering a lot of things like kids clothes and, you know, our division of labor in the house with like, her making sure certain things are covered, like she's got a lot on her plate. Totally. Same do I. And I think what happens to her is what you mentioned. She lays down and maybe that's the first time she can like clear her head. And, and sometimes she doesn't, you know, and, and she'll admit it. Sometimes she's on her phone and still getting bombarded with an email or uh, Instagram feed or checking up on a video that our family sent us about the kids. And for sure. you know, it just starts the process. So I, something she does. Thankfully for me, the sleep thing, I, I could fall asleep right here. 
Like, I don't know what it is. It's not healthy. People hate it. You're lucky, man. Oh, yeah, except when it comes to watching movies and your wife elbowing you. And, like, yeah. I hate watching movies with you because literally, and it, on top of it, I'll admit, I snore. I've been told. So <laughs> then we're here, and we're trying to relax. We finally get that time on the couch, and I'm sitting there, and I'm excited. The worst is when it's something I really want to watch. 100%. Because then I'm, like, in the zone. I'm Have relaxed. fall asleep in a theater? Yes, I've been I've been dragged like, out. I've been dragged out of a theater. Like this is not fun. Oh, and I, in mid movie, I'm like, fuck, I'm sorry. And it wasn't because I sleep well. It's because I was just I was exhausted. I'm so yep. guilty of falling asleep in movies too. It's so bad. Oh, I just I've been I think pulled out of a theater before. It's tough, but yeah. So it's one of those things for me. I need that time when I get home. To I can't with two kids. I can't take twenty or thirty minutes. Would be ideal. I think. It's more. I have a routine where I come home. The first thing I do is I take my shoes off. Uh, we've been a no shoe household, especially in downtown mm -hmm. before the coronavirus. Um, so the kids know that they hear us come home, they come running, you know, screaming, they want to sure, give us yeah. hugs. Now it's like a weird like hug because we haven't washed our hands either. Right. Taking the shoes off. haven't washed the hands yet. It's a real COVID problem. Oh man. And, uh, but then they know cause they're excited. They want to see us. And then they have a million of, questions or needs like they want to snack or yep. whose turn is it to watch tv because they get their little tv time in certain pockets they know daddy needs and it's fair to them and it's fair to me and everybody around me that daddy needs a little bit of time let let me get out of my suit let me sort of wash off the day my hands whether i get to take a shower right away yep and just sort of like fuck it I, i'm not at work right now anything i need to handle before the office handled if i decided that i can get to it later after the kids go down or tomorrow morning. I trust in mm -hmm. my ability to do that. I don't need to be tied to the email and just, when I come out from changing my suit, the kids know it's go time, spend some time with daddy before we get into our nighttime routine, which is very helpful to them. To sure, yeah. understand their routines of, depending on how late their afternoon snack was, we'll determine whether we play and take a bath and then eat, or no, we need to eat first because they're going to get hangry and that's mm -hmm. not pretty. And then we go through it. So that's one thing as far as like transitioning from the office and coming home. Uh, but as far as like just overall health and just being mindful to your credit, a lot of people don't even understand that that's an issue. Mm -hmm. Don't even understand that that may be causing a problem in their life or in relationships or people around them. Mm -hmm. And so to even know that that's something that, exists and needs to be addressed or how to address it is like three steps into the process. Recognizing the issue spotting it is the key thing that makes you better for everyone around you. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I had to learn and I have to learn and I'm still learning for the cleanse. I, I did it twice. I have completed two 30 day cleanses sort of back to back. I just had a, a lag there where I was like half in it because mm -hmm. I didn't have all the supplements and things for my smoothies. And there's so many things that I'm taking on because I, I'm never going to have dad bod ever, ever. Everyone knows that it's vain as shit. I'm telling you never having record. dad bod. And I'll, I'll also go on the record as telling you, look, milfs get a lot of play. Dilfin ain't easy. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you that Dilfin ain't oh, easy. We're edit that so well, <laughs> but it's mindful because it's what I need to be my best and yeah, to yeah. feel my best because dude, my wife's hot. Mm -hmm. I got to do my part. Like mm -hmm. we got rules and regulations around here. And you know, the person she married had an emphasis on fitness and taking care of himself. Yep. That shouldn't change just because she's there forever. I should let myself go. And it makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. My energy levels are up. My clarity in my mind and my thoughts, which helps everything in my life is up right? Mm -hmm. The way I feel, the confidence that 
clients want to perceive in the oh. way that you carry yourself in court. Are you hunched over like a little bowling ball and you're just me, I'm here. Yeah. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. Like you need to make a change because your life can be better. And I'm not saying go as crazy as I do with, you know, limiting intakes, no processed foods, no sugars, no carbs. I'm not saying that's for everybody. You yeah, got to yeah. find your lane. But for me, anyone around you will tell you if there's a difference. And everyone around me has said, dude, like, I don't know what you're doing, but shit, like it's working for you. And I'm thankful it does. And, and it makes a big difference in everything that I do because I want to be there you know, I've had health issues. I've had health issues where I've had to postpone hearings because, you know, I was drinking enough liquids. I've had, sure. had to have a kidney surgery, which was like terrible. Um, I don't want those to compound because as much as I know I'm enjoying every day now, once this practice gets to the goals I want it to get to, my other ventures get to the goals that they want to get to, and I can really enjoy life, I want to be in the best physical yeah, shape yeah. to have that fun. When the kids are older, we can have even more fun conversations, mm -hmm. and they're traveling for sports, or they want daddy to go take them on this trip. I, I want to be able to go and do everything that they're doing, and they think it's crazy, but I tell them, your dad will be there. Like, we're, we're going to Vegas when you're 21. You may not like it. You'll definitely be there. I you will. You'll 100% be there both will, times around. All the time. You'll be booking everything. I will. You'll still have relationships there. I will still get them the front of line past the buffet. You know? Well, <laughs> well it, it's, it's funny, too, because I think people undervalue. They're starting to value more both physical and, and, and mental um, health, and we're starting to see a lot more cases of the mental health causing a lot of issues now, mm -hmm. which is good. I think it, it should be talked about more. But I always describe to take away the vainness of it. And, it, and this applies to as a husband and a wife, but even like I'm single, like who I, who I'm, if I go on a date with someone or meet, the vainness is taken away when I say, hey, when I look at you and, and your physical body, for me, there's nothing more important than your body. I don't, I don't know who can put any other, anything mm -hmm. else important because without it, you can't tend to your kids, you can't tend to your wife, your business, everything. Like, this is your vehicle, it's, it's, it should be the first, first priority. So if I'm sitting with someone and they just absolutely don't take care of their body, and this might not always be the case, but it's the way I think is like, well, what, how do you take care of everything else? Cause that's, mm -hmm. that's the most important thing. And, and, and to your point, like if you don't take care of it, you're not going to be in Vegas when your kids are 21, mm -mm. You, you might wish them goodbye, maybe. Um, so you have, if you look at it in those terms and, and again, it's not saying, oh, you just want someone who's got a six pack. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I want someone who equally values the importance of their body as I do, because if I like you, especially if I like you probably going to want to see you in 10 years too, yeah. 15 years too. So if you're not taking care of your body and you're, you're smoking cigarettes and you're eating shit food and you don't work out, like again, it's your, it's your life. But if, if you're not putting any value on that, oh my God, then what if we start talking about the value you put on your job, the value you put on your morals and principles and you go down the line, that for me is the most important, yep. important thing. So, um, health is wealth. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And last thing, maybe the most important is I do want to talk about your experience so far starting the podcast. I was instantly, I gravitated toward it even before I came on it. Love the concept. Mm -hmm. I also have and I haven't cited or given you credit every time that I've used the term. I'm sorry, so I'm gonna say it on camera now. Success leaves clues is something yeah. you say a lot, and I think it, it sounds like it's a building blocks of, of the podcast, which is great, you bring people on. I'm the same way, you know? Every time I have somebody on, the way I describe it is like, it's, it's like reading your book front to back. I just got your whole book yeah. in, in, a, in one podcast, so I'm getting educated, but in, in a lot of ways too, it's the same principle of success leaves clues. 
tell me in a consolidated version your experience, the love, the hate, the good, the bad of starting a podcast. Because I don't know if you get this now when you start, like when we started our podcast, which has been a little over a year now, even of all the other business I do, and it might be the same, all the the legal, like your your work, your family, it's what I get asked questions about most. Mm -hmm. Because podcasts right now are extremely popular. Um, and a lot of people are switching over and they're tuning in. So they're also vetting podcasts. So not to see you host it, you know, do you get ambushed with those questions? But how has it been? Because the overall core principle and feedback I give is it's a lot of work if yeah. you're doing it right. So I kind of want to hear from somebody else because I haven't had, I've had one other person actually on the show who started a, a, a podcast and we, and we walked through it. He had radio background. So it was a, a lot more seamless of a transition for him. Mm -hmm. But I want to hear your and everything else you got going on and everything we just talked about, I think is a great way to, to wrap up the show. You launch a podcast and yeah. really just stoke the fire. So tell me, tell me what, how the experience has been. I love it. Um, it's a ton of work though. You're mm -hmm. right. Like, especially when it's not the only thing you do, you know, um, the most challenging part for me is getting guests and scheduling guests and mm. that has to do sort of my limited availability and just you know that's been the biggest mm -hmm. challenge for me um i enjoy cultivating knowledge building relationships understanding people's story so i like doing like the background research and game planning the same way i would strategize for an argument or a motion hearing a lot of those same skills and it's purely selfish for me and, and mm -hmm. i have no problem in saying that i like talking to people Mm -hmm. Even people I don't think I'll necessarily have a lot in common with or agree with or certain things I know I don't agree with. I just like to talk people. It brings people mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very fulfilling and fascinating for me to learn. I'm always learning and to learn about my guests and their story and hopefully have that impact somebody else. Because I know it's going to impact me. I always take away a lot from sure. every interview I have, every person I have on but someone else is going to hear that. And I don't know what it's going to do for their day, you know? And that's sort of the fun, real cool thing for me mm -hmm. is like, we're going to put this out there in this space. The timing's cool because a lot of people are at home now because the COVID issue and the pandemic, yep. a lot of people like podcast numbers grew exponentially. So it sort of may look as a bandwagon move if you don't know me um, in the sense that one of my falls, faults with this issue is I've been sitting on these social media pro projects for three years. Mm. And I had to talk to myself in the mirror. Like, I'm not a, just a talker. Like, I didn't just say, oh, yeah, Pete, I'll go in the ice plunge. You know, I did that myself. I have a Ziploc Here's bag. Ziploc bag with my, the trunks. We can prove it. In, in the bag because I committed to it. I'm going to do it. Yep. And I had to have one of those honest talks with myself. I will never have another break like this in my practice where you can't go to jails because they're on lockdown or you can't go to court because they're not having hearings and things are postponed. And if I can't do it now, I don't want it bad enough. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the catalyst of saying, now's the time, do it. And so we've got these projects launched. I'm so thrilled about them. Preparing for them is a lot of work. If a podcast is an hour and a half, I put at least four hours in when mm -hmm. it comes to correspondence and scheduling and then thinking about it and researching and then traveling to where I shoot my podcast and then getting yep. stuff set up and trying to be creative and make a little, you know, background photo that I used there. And it's a project that takes a lot of work, but for me, the reward's great. Um, mm -hmm. And I enjoy it. And I get in flow states every conversation that I have because I'm enthralled. I'm genuinely interested in yeah. learning, telling somebody's story. And then it's like a, 
attest to me to like mine those nuggets and then recall them at the end of my show. People see me on there. It's, it's not scripted. I don't take notes. I don't stop it and then figure it out and then reshoot it. Like sure. it's, it's, it's raw. It. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, it draws on some of the natural skills that I identified that I have, which make me effective in the courtroom and talking with people and absorbing information and being able to pivot and think, on the fly mm-hmm. um, to sort of track where the conversation's going or stumbling upon an area that perhaps needs to be explored that we didn't anticipate. So, sure, yeah. you know, I, I hope that answers your question, but I, I love doing it. I'm going to continue doing it. By far the biggest challenge is just getting the guests mm-hmm. and then scheduling them due to mm-hmm. various time constraints because most of the people on my show have a ton going on. And so mm-hmm. accommodating them as the guest and fitting it in with my schedule, which I don't always have complete control of because the court tells me when and where I need to be certain places. And sometimes like today we scheduled this podcast and then it was wide open and I had a hearing because yep. the court said, Oh no, Mr. Conforti, you got to be here at nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, okay, I'm going to go there and then I'm going to come in my suit totally, yeah. straight over and I'm going to bring my note back for court and I'm going to bring my trunks in a Ziploc. And if we're going to dunk, we're going to dunk. Yeah, no, totally. And if, if it was easy scheduling, then it probably weren't going after the caliber guests that you want to have on anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a challenge and, and matching it up with your schedule is difficult and the production schedule and yep. all that. It's, it, it's a lot. So that's, that's great to hear. And I think a lot more people need to hear it because I, I have a lot of people. It's all, it reminds me of. 10 years ago, starting a business and people start asking, Oh, I'll start a business. And now that's been popularized, been popularized is giving them the real behind the scenes of what, it, what it requires. And I can't even like, I can't even verbalize starting a business, what it requires. Cause there's, there's half of me now that would probably talk people um, constructively out of it and half into it by really painting the actual picture of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I feel very similar now when people are asking about podcasts, cause I have a lot is I paint the, as close to the picture. Like we have some luxuries and we're a little bit ahead of the game because of the nature of our company is we have like the production, the media, this, so it was a little bit easier, but it still like was a thought out process. Yeah. Do we want to do this? And you're probably the same way. Well, not probably you are the same way. Well, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it right too. Yeah. So we, uh, which just means more time incrementally more time because we want to produce it right we want to have the right guests we want to do everything about it we don't want to do it 50 percent or even 90 percent. we want to do it right so that's great to hear with that being said i'm going to ask you the same thing we always end with so this is the plane touching down if there's somebody out there who is early in the weeds the 18 19 20 year old um, aspiring attorney aspiring brain surgeon, aspiring athlete, someone who's just getting off the ground or, or who is about to get really deep in the weeds from your experience up to where you're at now, what is your best piece of advice for taking that first step or just to get, just getting started? I, I think the, the biggest piece of advice is I could give them is to get started, you know, mm-hmm. and, but before you get started, make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Uh, not because you think you need to do it to make so-and-so happy or you think you were told to do it, right? Especially with law school, for example. Mm-hmm. It's too much of a time commitment and financial commitment as far as student loans or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to just have a go at it, right? Yeah. So do it for the right reasons um, because you want to do it. And it doesn't mean you have to see it through because you may find it, while you're doing it and taking that action that you have to pivot because 
you unveil your true calling or your true path. And totally. there's no harm in that because you're, you're progressing. You're making progress and you had to take a little detour. There's no harm in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so just be true to yourself. Do it for the right reasons. And if you're serious about something like law or sports or whatever, I would encourage you to contact somebody in that field that is doing what you think you want to do. Mm. That, that, I guess, if I could change my answer, would probably be if you've gone through the other internal struggles and identified that I want to be a lawyer, chiropractor, doctor, and you sure. think I have that life or you want that life, figure out what they're about. Reach out to them. You'd be surprised by taking that action how many people will respond. And you can see if what you see on Instagram or what you hear about or what you think that life is about is really about that and if that's really what you want. Mm -hmm. Or if not, how you could make some variations or changes to then have a lot of similarities and make it better for you, Mm -hmm. right? It's not necessarily an all-in or all-out type thing. You can modify. It's your life. That's what I would do. And that's one of the things I did personally when I knew I wanted to be a lawyer but had no connection to a law office at all. And I made that connection with Paul and I told him, don't pay me. I don't want yeah. anything, but I yeah. will come here and be a plant to fly on the wall. Whatever you want to call me, I will do anything you need me to do to help out. And I mean that whether it's moving storage units, whether it's cleaning things, running things to the court, whatever it is, I just need to understand the flow of a law office. Totally. Cause yeah. I've never been there. Um, and so I would encourage people to do that. Uh, reach out to people. Professionals like seeing People reach out to them and are most often happy to pass it down and pay it forward and to give you any, I'll give you any insight, tips, tricks I've learned um, because I'm confident enough in my abilities that I can give you the game. Yeah. We're different people and you're going to do Pete and I'm going to do Jason and we can both be great and successful and we're going to have different flavors for different people. There's no insecurity here, mm-hmm. right? Um, reach out to those people that you think you want your career to be like, or you want to get into that industry. Um, they can, I'm going to plug myself. They can follow me mm-hmm. at Jason Teakin 40 on Instagram. Great mm-hmm. way to watch my stories, my posts, Definitely. listen to the never settle Mindcast. You can DM me. If you want to get in the law, you're serious or you have an issue, reach out. I will respond to you, totally. you know, and I'm more than happy to sit down and pay it forward because I know where, I would or wouldn't be without the mentors I had and doors weren't open for me. I knocked and that's what I'm encouraging people to do. Yeah. I think that that's probably that I couldn't agree more first, but that's one of the best pieces of advice. And I think a lot of people's response might be because I, I say even further, like offer to go, if they reach out to you, say, Hey, I'll come to work for you for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and also make some sort of negotiation be like, but I want 30 minutes of one-on-one with you each yeah. time. Offer something, even if it's work for free. If you know specifically, I want to get into law, you're right. Reach out, work for free. And, and to the person who responds and says, I'm not going to work for anybody free. I, I, I would reply with, you know, we, we dump thousands of dollars into going to universities and schools. We pay to go there to become educated but you're not going to go, you're not asking to get paid mm-hmm. just for free to go learn exactly from the person of what you want to be doing. Like that's silly. That's, yeah. a, that's a silly way of thinking. And, and to get it is, is absolutely priceless. So I think that's a, a great piece of rice, great ending. And I do want to compliment you. I don't know if it's the lawyer or the podcaster in you, how you answered questions. You didn't, even if I fired two or three in one question at you, you picking them apart. I, I'm, I'm literally going through this like, 
man, did he pick this up from interviewing people from podcasting? Because you didn't skip one. Because I asked you one question, then we talk, I was talking about the justice system paired with mm. being a dad, and you you went back through. So maybe that's a memory thing or all of the above. Yeah. So compliments. I've never had anybody be so spot on with the questions or interview. But with that being said, let's get back to the day, the family. Thank you for coming in. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see each other and run it back again soon, I'm sure. No, I appreciate you, man. And as always, appreciate the friendship, the opportunity to come on. And if that seat's open, I'm happy to take it. 100%. Thanks, man. Cool. Thanks, Pete.